Hello and welcome back to the Flame and Grenade Serial Podcast. Today we're just going to get right to it, so I hope you enjoy. Chapter 131, Trecastani, Sicily, Italy. Robert walked out of the hotel with a backpack slung over one shoulder. I looked behind him and noticed there was no one there. I was expecting to see him drive out of the garage in his car, so I was a bit surprised. Instead, he opened the back door and slid in. Heinrich had to scoot over behind the driver's seat. Well, let's go, he said without explanation. Um, aren't we missing someone? Sarah asked. She's blonde, cute, about five seven. ring any bells? She's not coming. We all waited for an explanation, and when it wasn't forthcoming, I dove in and asked. Uh, maybe, may we ask why? She seemed all gung-ho this morning. What did you do, Zyra demanded. Nothing, nothing. She said she's too scared to go. She's freaked out and can't stop thinking about the Chinese thugs raiding my place in Palo Alto. She's still messed up about it, you know? What happened in Palo... Palo... Palo Alto, I finished. These Chinese gangsters broke into Robert's house and held them both hostage. They were asking... More like interrogating and torturing, Sarah interrupted. I looked over at her and continued speaking, looking looking up in the rearview mirror. I taped Ashley to the table and threatened to do unspeakable things to her if she didn't talk. About what? About the badge I found. I guess they traced some of Robert's online inquiries back to him and thought they knew something. But at the time, Robert and Ashley didn't really have any information to give. Sarah chimed in again. Anyway, she was pretty messed up. She still is, Robert explained. And I guess going up to the mountain to finish this has her spooked. She's afraid the Chinese guys will be there. What about the hotel? Isn't she worried about being tracked down there, Zara wondered? I guess not. In the hotel, she can lock the door. And anyway, she's still pretty jet-lagged and said she was just going to get some sleep. Okay, I put the car in first gear and checked over my shoulder. I pulled out into the street and started towards the edge of turn, edge of town and the road leading up the mountain. Hopefully this doesn't take too long and we'll be back before she knows it. Chapter 132. Mount Etna, Sicily, Italy. Giuseppe asked Carmela to pull over to the side of the road as they neared the scene of the crash. She put the car into park and applied the parking brake. Giuseppe took a deep breath and opened his car door. It was a beautiful day up on the mountain. The air was crisp and cool, but you could feel the rays of the sun warming the air around you. He stood at the crest of the hill and looked down, seeing the crash from the outside, and contem- completing his picture of events through the torn bushes and jagged cuts in the earth, down the car's to, to the car's final resting place. The car, of course, was gone, but Giuseppe could still see bits of metal and glass strewn down the hillside and surrounding the site. He started down the hill, and Carmela followed, cautious not to say or do anything that would upset him. He walked slowly and stiffly and had to brace each leg sideways on the slope as he climbed down. He was unsteady but made it to the bottom. He was breathing hard from the exertion and bent over at the waist with hands on his knees. Carmelo, worried now, placed a hand on his back just to let him know she was there and he wasn't alone. After a few seconds, he straightened up and turned to smile at her. He didn't say a word, but didn't have to. The site was trampled where crime scene technicians had walked and finally where they, where what he presumed was a chain was lowered down to winch the car back up the hill. Giuseppe looked up and followed a different trail up a less steep slope of the hill, presumably the path of the tow truck. He noticed deep tire tracks leading down from there to the car. It must have been quite a feat getting the tow truck in and out of there. 
Satisfied, he continued his walk to the tree where he had dragged himself. He stared down at the spot, and then, surprising Carmela, took her hand in his. Without saying a word, he turned around and began walking back towards their car. Carmela was worried he wouldn't be able to make it back up the hill, but he did, slowly and deliberately, one step at a time. Once there, she noticed his forehead was beaded with sweat, and his breathing was heavy and labored. He opened the car door and sat down in the seat with his chin back and his eyes closed. Carmela pulled away and continued to drive up the mountain. Chapter 133, Half Moon Bay, California. Brian lifted both hands in the air in triumph. Yes, he exclaimed. You get it? Brad asked, looking up from his computer monitor. Dude, we are so in business. Brian waved the tablet computer in the air and yelped again in excitement. The app is done and ready for testing. Brian chimed in. I'm almost there, man. Coding this new firmware update has been crazy. But once it's online, your app should work just great. We can transition from the phones to the tablets and have a lot more horsepower. Tell us something we don't know, Brad said. What's taking you so long anyway, Ryan? It's not like I can just think of some theoretical model of physics and pass it off. I've got to take all of your mumbo-jumbo and translate it into code so that it actually becomes reality. Yeah, but it's not like you have to change that much. Dude, I've already explained it. New platform, totally new firmware. Yeah, it's based on the same principles, but I had to add to every segment of the program. All right, all right. So when is it going to be finished? I just finished the last line, so I've got to check my work and then work out a few kinks and we should be golden. Give me like an hour and we'll be ready to shut it down. The teleportation platform was due for a major upgrade. They hoped it would speed the process a little more and also be able to parse out some of the jumbled thoughts a person had even when totally concentrating. Their mainframe was constantly online, especially with Archie and Zyra on the hook, but it had to come down for the update. Will the new firmware affect Archie and Z at all? Brad asked. It shouldn't, Brian answered. It should be completely backwards compatible with the old system, but have new functionality. Alex's part is done, and I didn't really th need anything from Charlie. Let's hope so. So how long is it going to be down? No more than, say, 30 to 45 minutes max, Ryan answered. Let me focus here. I'm in the zone, and then we can do this. Ryan returned his attention to his computer screens, and Brian set the tablet down and walked down the hall to grab a bite to eat from the kitchen. This new version was going to kick some major butt. Chapter 134, Mount Etna, Sicily, Italy. He heard the car arrive down the hill and could make out the sounds of people talking. He didn't understand any of the words. In fact, he couldn't hear more than snippets on the breeze. But he knew one thing for sure. It was not his protector, Antonelli. Where was he? And who were these intruders? On one hand, he hoped they would hike up to the cave. He was angry and restless, and it would feel good to rip them to shreds. On the other, he just wanted to be alone until Antonelli came to him. He didn't want to be bothered. He felt funny, and he rubbed his stomach with his dirty hands. He had little energy and felt old and tired. Instinctively, he knew he should understand, that he should know why he was feeling this way, but he couldn't grasp at the thought. It had been too long since he cared to think or understand. He had spent the decades only worrying about his little cave and his shiny trinkets. The rest didn't matter. The sun rose every day over the waters of the sea, barely visible in the distance, and every night it was dark, dark and cold, and inviting. He sat down on the hard-packed earth of the cave and tried to relax, but he couldn't. He popped back to his feet and began to pace back and forth. Maybe he should go down to the sounds to see who it was. Maybe he should venture out. It had been so long since he had done so in the daylight. 
Not since you first met Antonelli in the clearing below on the day the soldiers came. At night he roamed the mountain. It was his time. He could roam freely and be assured no one would find the cave or find the remaining half of the stone. That was his greatest fear, although he could never articulate it. One day the owner of the stone he took would return and ask him where he took it, and the shepherd could not answer that question. And what if that happened? What could possibly be his punishment? Would he have to stay there forever? Was there no end? He heard a noise, a crying sound. It sounded like a child. But wait, there were two? He sat down again, then shot back up to his feet, bouncing up, then down, then up, then down. He wanted to make someone hurt, hurt the way he did. He wanted to understand, to remember. His head hurt, and he shook it violently. If only Antonelli would come, please. Chapter 135, Trecastani, Sicily, Italy. Sung waited until all was quiet. He heard the man walk down the granite stairs and heard the clerk's voice echo up the tiled stairs saying goodbye as Robert left the hotel. He waited five more minutes just to be safe. It wouldn't do if the man forgot something and came barging back up the stairs. He was starting to get impatient. He was tired and his ears, every breath, sounded like the north wind in the thin hallway. Certainly someone could hear him breathing. At last he heard the water in the sink in the room start to run and he lightly tiptoed to the hotel room door. He tried the handle. Open. She'd forgotten to lock the door behind the man after he left. It was his lucky day after all. Slowly, gently, he pushed down the handle until the catch released, and he pushed the door inward, one hand on the handle and one ready to strike. The water was still running, and he heard the woman softly humming in the bathroom. He grinned. This was too easy. Just then the door squeaked on its hinges and some froze, standing one foot in the room and one in the hallway. But there was no reaction. Sung looked and saw the hotel bed against the far wall. The blankets were pulled down, and there were clothes strewn about, strewn about the floor. An open suitcase sat on a bench at the foot of the bed, and Sung could see women's clothing packed tight into the case. There were boots lying on their side on the floor just inside the doorway, and a pair of sneakers had been kicked carelessly against the radiator on the wall opposite the door. Sung peeked around the door and saw just the left arm and leg of the woman in the bathroom. Quickly and quietly, he closed the door. He hurried past the door over to a small desk. He pulled out the desk chair, a hard-backed wooden chair with a slightly padded canvas seat, and he sat down. He would wait for her to finish and walk out of the room. That should be a good surprise. Chapter 136, Catania, Sicily, Italy. Archbishop Antonelli was still stuck in his office. After Mass, he was bombarded with questions and requests from parishioners. It was like they knew he was in a hurry and were all determined to delay him. He hadn't even had a chance to get to any of his administrative tasks. He looked at the clock and cursed under his breath. He really needed to get back up the mountain to visit the shepherd. It had been too long, and after the ordeal with Moretti, the shepherd would be unstable. He thought of Archie, Zyra, and Heinrich. They were going there to the cave. What would the shepherd do? He told them to bring a gift, something shiny, but he was worried. He hoped the badges would prove to be enough protection. Maybe, after all these years, the shepherd would recognize the power and be too scared to react violently. Maybe he wouldn't react as he had with the carabinieri. He said a silent prayer. There was a knock on his door. Come in. It swung open and a priest stood, head bowed in the doorway. What is it? He barked and instantly regretted it. This poor priest had just taken his vows and still seemed scared of the archbishop. I'm sorry, he apologized. What is it? He said in a softer, albeit forced tone. Archbishop, I have the stack of receipts. I need some help getting them ready for your review and signature. 
Antonelli grunted in annoyance. This priest could do nothing on his own. He had replaced a priest who transferred to a smaller church in Catania to lead the parish in that neighborhood. He had been reliable and independent, which was why he got the new assignment in the first place. With this new boy, well, technically a man, he had to walk him through every little assignment. It wore at his patience. Not now. Can't you see I'm busy? He snapped. The young priest bowed his head in shame. Were those tears? Was he actually crying over receipts? Come here, he said, motioning for the priest to enter and bring him the stack. He thought about apologizing for his reaction, then thought better of it. This boy needed to learn how to be a man. How did he expect to lead a congregation through good times and bad when he couldn't even handle a simple, a simple sharp word? It was insane. The priest set the receipts down on the table and took a step back. Antonelli picked up his reading glasses from the table and perched them on the end of his nose. See here, you must go through each receipt and divide the items purchased, then total them up. You can find the categories in the ledger. When that is done, fill out the ledger and then print out a final report. I will sign it and we can file it away, understand? The priest nodded. Si, signore, mi dispiace. Don't be sorry, just do your job and God will bless you. Antonelli felt he had to add that last part at least. Now go. The young man snatched up the small stack and scurried out of the room, and Antonelli turned his attention back to the desk. He had a list of things to do and wasn't even halfway through the list, but he decided he just had to go. There was no time to waste. He stood up and pulled a coat from a hook behind the door. It got cool up on the mountain, especially for his old bones. He pulled the heavy door shut and dropped the key into his cassock pocket. The car was parked behind the Duomo in the small courtyard. Hopefully nothing had gone wrong up the mountain. Chapter 137, Tricastani, Sicily, Italy Ashley looked at herself in the bathroom mirror. She admired, for the thousandth time, the perfect symmetry of her face, the high cheekbones, wide eyes, and thick lashes. It was vain, she knew, but she gave herself that private indulgence. Now in the rest of her body, she could list a million faults, but her face was her weapon. She felt the water temperature with the tip of a finger. It was hot, but not scalding. She dipped both palms into the water and splashed her face. The hot water felt good. She still felt the jet lag from the long flight. She hadn't slept well in the unfamiliar hotel bed. She leaned in closer and noticed a slight puffiness under her eyes from from the fatigue. That simply wouldn't do. She pulled a hand towel from the ring next to the sink and patted her face dry. She was going to use those few hours to catch up on her sleep. Her pajamas were hanging on the hook on the back of the bathroom door. Creak? She thought she heard something in frozen place. But there were only the sounds of her breathing and the water dripping in the sink. It must have been from out in the hallway. She unbuttoned her gray blouse and shrugged it off of her shoulders, letting it fall to the floor. She undid the fastener on her slacks, black in a slim leg cut, and wiggled them off of her hips to let them fall around her ankles. She looked in the mirror again. Ugh, she said. You really need to do some more crunches, Ash. She stepped out of one pant leg, then using the recently freed foot to step out on the material, she lifted the other foot free. She kept the black knee-high socks on to keep her feet warm. Shaking her head, she reached behind her back and unfastened her black bra. She turned around and took the pajamas off the hook and replaced them with her bra. She pulled on the soft flannel bottoms and the white cotton t-shirt with the cartoon print. These were her comfy PJs. Finally ready, she turned out the bathroom light and stepped into the room. She took one step, concentrating on how good it was going to feel to fall asleep, and she froze. Something was wrong. She felt it first then realized she could see something in her peripheral vision. Robert, she said in a weak, trembling voice. Is that you? She knew it wasn't before she even looked. 
whoever it was didn't make a sound or even move a muscle. Her feet were planted to the floor mid-stride. She tried to move them to run, but it was like they had been welded in place. She was a statue. Her heart raced in her chest, and she couldn't manage to open her mouth to breathe. Slowly, against her will, her head began to turn towards the shadow, pivoting on her long neck, the rest of her body immobile. His face was in shadow, his back to the sun, brightened window. After what seemed an eternity, her eyes adjusted. She noticed his size first. He was a monster, a giant. Before he came into focus, her brain registered the smell in the room, the smell of a stale, sweaty body. She later remembered thinking he really needed a shower. Slowly, he became clearer. She registered the black hair and then the eyes, followed by a malevolent grin. Ashley screamed. Downstairs, the hotel clerk turned his head at the distant sound. A car honked its horn outside, and, after a moment, the clerk returned his attention to the television. Ashley collapsed to the ground, unable to run and unable to fight. She saw the giant stand and tower over her. Then her world went black. Chapter 138, Mount Etna, Sicily, Italy. The twins were crying in the car. Reagan woke up first, and not seeing her mom in the front seat, she began to wail, immediately waking up her brother. How unthoughtful of her. Sharon sighed and climbed over the fence to get to the car. I'm coming, I'm coming, she said. That was the story of their life these days. Just when they thought they were going to get a few quiet minutes alone, one of the kids would decide they needed something right now. It was like clockwork. They would wait until just the right moment. She chided herself for complaining. They were abundantly blessed. She had a great husband with a good job, two beautiful, healthy kids, and they got to live in Sicily. Who among their friends back home could compete with that? Nobody. That's who. She was a lucky gal. Of course, that thought didn't mute the volume of two screaming babies. She opened the side door. Hunter gave her the how-dare-you-leave-us-alone-for-two-seconds dirty look, but it only lasted a second. Just as quickly, he was smiling at her in gratitude at their imminent rescue from the confines of the car seats. That's what she loved about kids. They just couldn't hold a grudge. One minute they were mad at you, and the next you were their hero. If only adults could do the same thing, the world would be a much better place. Sharon unfastened, unfastened Reagan's buckle first, then leaned over her to get at Hunter's. Hunter immediately wriggled out of his seat and went straight for the diaper bag on the floorboard. Re- Reagan waited for her mommy to lift her out of the seat. Sharon turned with, turned with Reagan in her arms and set her down on the ground, where she stood on uncertain legs. She steadied herself, then, seeing Dan climb over the fence, she ran with arms outstretched. Daddy! she squealed. Dan picked her up and held her high above his head as he twirled around. Reagan giggled as she flew. You'll make her dizzy, Sharon chided. Sorry, she just loves it, Dan replied as he came to a stop and set Reagan down. Reagan proved Mom right as she lurched from one side to the other on wobbly legs and finally fell to the ground. Sharon laughed. You're lucky she didn't puke on you. Sharon turned and found Hunter happily munching on more goldfish from a Tupperware container in the bag. Hunter, you're not going to eat your lunch if you keep eating goldfish. He looked at her with a guilty smile on his face. Come here, you. She held out her arms and he climbed across to the door. He was too independent to allow her to lift him out of the car, but he did give in and hold her hand while he stepped out. He looked around and realized they were in a new place that needed exploring. Dan went to the back of the car and lifted the hatchback where he pulled out the picnic basket. He reached in with the other hand to grab an old red quilt they kept in the car. He placed the quilt on top of the basket and reached up to close the door. Over there, he asked, pointing his chin at the lava building over the fence. Yeah, that way they'll be limited to where they can run and hide. Dan set the basket on the top step and climbed up and over. He turned and set the basket down. Sharon took Reagan first and lifted her up to hand her off to Dan. 
After repeating the handoff with Hunter, she herself climbed over. She took the blanket from atop the basket and decided on a spot of grass about fifteen feet from the building. She knew the twins would want to explore the ruins, but didn't want them too close. That was going to take some close supervision. Who knew what kind of broken glass or other dangers were hidden in the rocks? Sharon spread the quilt out on the grass, and they began to take out the picnic lunch and build plates first for the kids and then for her and Dan. Dan played tag with the kids, dramatically allowing them to catch him and then struggling to catch up to them as they buzzed around, shouting with delight. Come and eat, Sharon called out. The three raced to the quilt and plopped, them, plopped themselves down, breathing heavily. I think I have three kids, not two. You're pregnant? I better not be, she laughed and threw a napkin at him. Wait, she warned as Hunter opened his mouth to shove in a handful of food. Prayer, she reminded him. Hunter dropped the food back onto his plate and bowed his head. He began to pray before being asked, and Reagan started to cry. After he finished, Sharon looked at Reagan and told her she could have a turn, too. They all waited while Reagan thanked God for every one of her toys. All, all of her friends and started into cartoon characters. Sharon peeked at Hunter and saw him struggling to wait through the prayer. His eyes were open and he was hungrily eyeing his plate. Finally, Reagan ended with a resounding amen and they dug into their sandwiches. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Flaming Grenade Serial Podcast. Um, I know I do it often, but I again am going to plug the ebook on Amazon. There are two different versions. One says teen version, which is the one I am reading now. Not that the adult one is bad, but the teen one just has uh, a little bit of the language cleaned up, so you can feel comfortable letting your teens read it. So I'd appreciate the support, and I'll see you next time on the Flaming Grenade Serial Podcast.